Hey there everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Finals Countdown Revision Series brought to you by MedTalks. This episode is part of the respiratory section and in today's talk we're going to be looking at pneumonia. My name is Sahil and I am a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. So what is a pneumonia? It's defined as signs and symptoms consistent with an acute lower respiratory tract infection in association with new radiographic shadowing for which there is no alternative explanation. There is infiltration of white blood cells, mainly neutrophils, in and around alveoli and bronchioles. The alveoli fill with pus and fluid which causes difficulties in breathing and reduces one's oxygen saturations. There are different types of pneumonia and different causative agents which we'll discuss now. Firstly, let's talk about the risk factors for pneumonia. There is age, especially young children, infants and the elderly. Lifestyle factors including smoking, alcohol and a poor diet. Viral infections, for example influenza virus predisposes to strep pneumoniae. Upper underlying respiratory conditions such as asthma, COPD, bronchiectasis, cystic fibrosis and lung malignancies. Immunosuppression such as hematological malignancies, cytotoxic therapies, intravenous drug use is associated especially with Staphylococcus aureus, hospitalization often with, gra often with gram-negative organisms, aspiration pneumonia can be caused by impaired GCS, a poor swallow, history of a stroke, neurological conditions such as Parkinson's disease and esophageal obstruction and also diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So there is community acquired pneumonia or a CAP and then we have hospital acquired pneumonia or a HAP. Firstly we'll talk about a CAP. In England around 100,000 of admissions per year is due to a CAP mainly during the autumn and winter seasons and the main causes are bacterial and viral. Causative bacteria, Streptococcus pneumoniae, Staphylococcus aureus, Mycoplasma pneumoniae, Haemophilus influenza and Chlamydia pneumoniae. The main viral pathogens are influenza and respiratory syncytial virus or RSV. So what are the clinical features of a community acquired pneumonia? Usually patients have a productive cough with purulent green or brown sputum, they may have dyspnea, fever, general malaise. The elderly may present mainly with systemic signs such as anorexia, malaise, fatigue and myalgia and young children may present with non-specific symptoms or abdominal pain. Signs to look out for are pyrexia, cyanosis, confusion and this may be the only sign in the elderly, hypothermia again especially in the elderly, tachypnea, tachycardia and hypotension. Specific signs of consolidation in the chest include crepitations on auscultation, a pleural rub, dullness to percussion, increased tactile vocal fremitist or vocal resonance, and bronchial breathing. Right, so the patient has been seen in the emergency department. The decision needs to be made as to whether they require hospital admission. And this is where the CURB 65 score, which is recommended by NICE, in conjunction with clinical judgment is used to make this decision about whether the patient needs to stay or not. So the C is for confusion and this is a new confusion or a AMTS score of 8 or less. U is the urea of 7 or more. 
R is a respiratory rate of 30 or more. B is blood pressure with a systolic of less than 90 or a diastolic of less than 60. And the 65 is 65 years old or older. A score of zero is, means a low risk of mortality, so patients can be put on oral antibiotics and sent home. For all other patients, hospital admissions should be considered, especially if, it's, if, if the CURB65 score is two or more. Note that the CURB65 score does not take into account any imaging. And speaking of imaging, a chest x-ray would be the first line investigation to look for a pneumonia. It's important to note that radiological signs may not be present on an x-ray if the disease is in its early stages or if it involves part of the lung which is not easily seen on an x-ray. But the common x-ray findings include areas of opacity which are seen as white areas which represent consolidation. And if a chest x-ray is inconclusive then you can consider a CT scan. Other investigations which needs to be done, so vital signs are essential, so the respiratory rate, oxygen saturations, blood pressure, heart rate, temperature, and also assessing a patient's GCS score. Blood tests, so a full blood count may show raised white blood cells, raised neutrophils. Use an ease or urea and electrolytes to look at the urea and kidney function and assess for any acute kidney injury, which may be due to dehydration. And CRP, so C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation, and that's likely to be elevated if the patient has a pneumonia. The patient's got a productive cough, so they're bringing up sputum, so you need to take a sputum sample, send it to the lab to, for cultures and sensitivities, send off a urine culture and a blood culture if there's a concern of sepsis. Okay, so we talked about the causes of a pneumonia, how patients present and how it's diagnosed. Now let's think about the management if patients are hypoxic, so less than 94% or less than 88% if known CO2 retainers, then they would need some oxygen therapy. They may require fluids for dehydration. Analgesia, such as NSAIDs and paracetamol. They may require opioids, but care needs to be taken to prevent the buildup of carbon dioxide. Nebulized saline may be required to help expectoration of the sputum. And of course, antibiotics. And this should be started as soon as possible. For a low severity cap, a five-day course of amoxicillin, and if pen penicillin allergic or atypical pathogens are suspected, then macrolides can be tried, such as clarithromycin or erythromycin, or even doxycycline can be tried. The antibiotics can be stopped after five days if the patient is clinically stable, but if not, then they should be continued, or if microbiology results suggest a longer course. For a moderate to severe community-acquired pneumonia, the patients require hospital admission, and a five-day course of comoxiclav and clarithromycin or erythromycin should be offered. So the causative agents that we mentioned already are the typical organisms, but there are also atypical organisms that cause atypical pneumonia. There's mycoplasma pneumonia and chlamydia pneumonia, which are both spread by person-to-person -person contact, and highest risk is in crowded spaces such as schools and offices. And there's Legionella pneumophilia, which is found in freshwater and man-made water systems. Other atypical pneumonias include Chlamydiophilia sitaki, where ex exposure to birds, especially unwell ones, is a useful clue. Coxiella bernetti, SARS-CoV viruses, and this is particularly apt in the current climate. Respiratory syncytial virus, adenovirus, and varicella pneumonitis. They all have varying presentations. 
So mycoplasma pneumoniae presents with a vague, slow-onset history of a, of a few days to weeks of constitutional symptoms, fever, headache, dry cough, myalgia, malaise, sore throat and pleuritic chest pain. Its presentation is similar to viral infections, however the length of the infection gives a clue that it's not viral. The hacking dry cough can be very persistent. And there are also ex extra respiratory features to be aware about. So erythema multiform that can be triggered by infection or certain medications. It's usually mild and it's basically a skin eruption characterized by a typical target lesion. Erythema nodosum, urticaria. Also there may be neurological complications such as Guillain-Barre syndrome, cerebellar ataxia. Hematological complications such as hemolytic anemia. Joint symptoms such as arthralgia and arthritis and cardiac complications including pericarditis. A chest x-ray may show reticular nodular shadowing or patchy consolidation often just of one lower lobe and it may, it may look worse than the patient's clinical signs suggest. Chlamydia pneumonia is usually a slow onset. It may show improvement before worsening again. The incubation period is around three to four weeks. Initially, patients have non-specific upper respiratory tract symptoms, features of bronchitis or pneumonia. So a cough with cantisputum, hoarseness, headache, and otitis. And fevers are unusual. Legionella pneumophilia, which is the most severe of the atypical organisms. This bacteria colonizes water tanks which are kept at less than 60 degrees, for example, hotel air conditioning and hot water systems. Patients with this condition present with mild headache and myalgia and this progresses to high fever, chills and repeated rigors. They may have a cough which is initially unproductive. Patients may also have gastrointestinal upset, so diarrhea and vomiting. Neurological signs include confusion, disorientation and severe complications are pancreatitis, peritonitis, pericarditis and glomerulonephritis. A chest x-ray may show bibasal consolidation and on blood tests there may be lymphopenia, hyponatremia and deranged LFTs. Diagnosis is made by testing the urine for the Legionella antigen. So the management of atypicals is usually with macrolides, so clarithromycin and erythromycin. Also we can use tetracyclines such as doxycycline and fluoroquinolones are also effective such as ciprofloxacin. There is a common cause of pneumonia in the immunosuppressed, which you should be aware of, and this is PCP, or pneumocystis pneumonia. The causative agent is pneumocystic gyrovecchi. Here patients have a dry cough, fever, hypoxia, exertional dyspnea and bilateral crepitations. And the treatment is high dose of cotrimoxazole or pentamidine for two to three weeks. Okay, now let's talk about hospital-acquired pneumonia. This is a new infection of the lung parenchyma more than 48 hours after admission. And the main risk factors are patients who are severely debilitated, immunocompromised and mechanically ventilated. Less than five days after admission, the most common is strep pneumoniae. More than five days, the most common is Haemophilus influenza, MRSA, Pseudomonas aeruginosa and other gram-negative bacteria. But these hospital acquired are often caused by multiple organisms. Now, for the treatment of community-acquired, hospital-acquired and aspiration pneumonias, it's, the best thing to do is to consult the local antibiotic guidelines because each trust may have different policies. So now let's talk about aspiration pneumonia. 
This occurs following the reflux of stomach contents or oropharyngeal secretions into the airways and it leads to a lower respiratory tract infection. This can happen in normal, healthy adults and thanks to the cough mechanism. So this reflux can happen in normal and healthy adults and thanks to the cough mechanism and lung cilia, we expel this material before it causes any damage. Aspiration pneumonia is common within hospitals and typically involves infections with multiple bacteria. Community-acquired pathogens are often the normal flora of the oropharynx, such as strep pneumonia, staph aureus, haemophilus influenza, specific anaerobes, and klebsiella, and klebsiella is especially in those with a history of alcohol misuse. The nosocomial pathogens, or the hospital-acquired ones, the nosocomial or hospital-acquired pathogens include anaerobic organisms such as peptostreptococcus, gram-negative bacilli such as E. coli or Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and methicillin-resistant Staph aureus or MRSA. So who is at risk of aspiration pneumonia? People with an impaired consciousness and therefore an unsafe swallow, so those with a history of drug or alcohol misuse, people under general anaesthesia, people who have had seizures or are under sedation, people with strokes or, or CNS lesions, or people with significant head injury. Other risk factors include increasing age, nil by mouth status, a history of COPD, being on multiple medications that can increase the likelihood of sedation, and swallowing disorders, so patients with esophageal strictures, dysphagia, a bulbar palsy, or neuromuscular disorders such as multiple sclerosis. And others include tracheoesophageal fistula, ventilator-associated pneumoniae, gastroesophageal reflux, and patients on a tracheostomy. So how does it present? Well, it's similar to the other pneumonias, so fever, headache, general malaise, a cough with dyspnea and pleuritic chest pain, and purulent sputum. The signs will include tachycardia, tachypnea, reduced breath sounds, and dullness to percussion over areas of consolidation. And if it's really severe, then patients may be very hypoxic and present with septic shock. The investigations are similar to ones we've previously discussed, so baseline bloods will show a high white blood cell, a neutrophilia and a raised inflammatory marker, so CRP. Urea and electrolytes may show an abnormal renal function, so high urea and creatinine and possibly electrolyte imbalances. And also we take blood and sputum cultures which may grow specific organisms. A chest x-ray show... X could show some consolidation and right and middle and lower lobes are most common sites for, the, for this. If a patient is upright and is aspirated, then this can cause bilateral lower lung infiltrates. And in terms of management, we start the patient with empirical antibiotics whilst awaiting culture results. And again, local guidelines should be consulted because each trust will have different policies. But typically, carmoxiclav and amacrolide such as clarithromycin or a tetracycline antibiotic such as doxycycline will be used. And if it's more severe, then more broad-spectrum antibiotics such as tazacin can be used. Supportive therapy is vital, so oxygen, bronchodilators, fluid rehydration and chest physiotherapy to expel this, these secretions and sputum. And it's vital that patients are referred to the SALT team or the speech and language therapy team to assess their swallow. So the final part of this episode, I'll touch on the complications of a pneumonia because there are quite a few. So patients can develop pleural effusions, they can develop empyemas, where there is a persistence of fever and leukocytosis after four to five days of antibiotic therapy. They can develop lung abscesses, a pneumothorax, 
and if it's really severe they can go into septicemia and septic, septic shock also a post-infective bronchiectasis which is the permanent permanent dilatation of an inflammation of the airways secondary to recurrent infections and because of dehydration and not eating enough patients can develop acute kidney, in kidney injuries which can increase the likelihood of morbidity and mortality prevention is always important so things like smoking cessation vaccinations such as the flu vaccine and early antibiotic therapy is important so that's the end of today's respiratory talk on pneumonia i hope you found it useful please remember to share these episodes with your friends and your peers who may also find them useful you can give us feedback so on the podcast channels or you can message us on our social media sites instagram and, and facebook alternatively you can email us and our email address is hellomedtalks at gmail.com check out our website for all of the other episodes and we've got plenty more episodes coming up in the respiratory section so stay tuned for those and thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next one goodbye